Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. This week on the podcast, I'm sharing with you a little segment that I did on KAXE, Northern Community Radio. It's a radio station here in central Minnesota that I've been involved with for almost two decades now. I do a, a regular show with Aaron Brown, uh, hosted by Heidi Holton. And in this segment, we talked about democracy and kind of the, the different uh, approach to democracy or the different ideas of what it means to be a democracy in the 21st century. Uh, my ideas here are a little, um, I, I won't say outside the mainstream, maybe that's not the way to put it, but I have a, I have a view of this that kind of runs contrary to maybe what the popular narrative of the day is. We don't talk a lot of politics on strong towns and, and for good reason. Uh, I am firmly of the belief that you can be to the left of the political spectrum and uh, build a strong town. You can be to the right of the political spectrum and build a strong town. You can be, uh, uh, you know, a, a localist of either bent and build a strong town where I struggle. And, and you heard this last fall when we interviewed Blake uh, about his uh, his book on political paradigms. Uh, where you see me struggle is is in the centralists, the 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 top down people versus the the bottom up people, the localists. This uh, kind of gets into that a little bit and talks about what it means to have a democracy, and what it means to be truly represented in that democracy. I, I didn't say this in the segment, but one of the most uh, I think kind of insightful things about the Chinese system, the, the the Chinese communist system, is that it's very democratic. Uh, they vote all the time. They vote uh, on everything. There's always votes. Um, it's just not votes that amount to much or you know give you a, a lot of choices or a lot of options. And so I'm I'm trying to in in my brain here draw a distinction there between a system that is democratic and responsive versus one that is is you know has democratic workings, but is is less responsive. So I welcome your thoughts, welcome your feedback, and we will be back next week with uh, something else. If all goes right, it's going to be pretty incredible. Uh, either way, uh, we'll see you then. Thanks. You're listening to Dig Deep on KAXE, KBXE. I'm Heidi Holton with Chuck Marone and Aaron Brown. Chuck represents the conservative viewpoint, and Aaron represents the liberal viewpoint. Um, you know, about four years ago when there was uh, marches around the country as President Trump was elected and women were wearing hand-knitted hats, you heard a lot. This is what democracy looks like was being chanted in those giant crowds of people. It wasn't just women. What does democracy look like right now? People are talking about this a lot more than I remember them talking about. I'll get us started. This was actually something I thought of, and I'm not the only one to point this out. It's kind of a hot topic in certain circles. Uh, the events of the last few years and uh, have really raised the question of the word democracy. What does it mean and what is its role in the United States of America and our society? Like most, I think, I was raised in the hazy, gauzy kind of world of America kicking the crap out of the Soviet Union and broad American patriotic truths being out there. One is that we live in a democracy. You know, we live in a democracy and, and they live in, in communism, which was the, uh, the same, meant the same thing as authoritarianism. And, and not being able to do what you want. And we live in a democracy and we're free. 
But now we've kind of reached a point years later where this word democracy comes up. And during President Trump's uh, term, many times, and, and you mentioned Heidi, right when he first got inaugurated, the protesters would chant things like what you just said. And then also at, at various times, important people, well-educated people, historians, Michael Beschloss said this, you know, the, the norms of American democracy are being threatened by the actions of the president. And the response to that, because when one side says it, of course, the other side has to be against it, has led to some really curious conversations I've heard, especially from not all, I'm not saying not all Republicans would say this or all conservatives would say this, but I'd say in our last segment, we talked about the, the group of people most incensed, most affiliated with the group that saved stormed the Capitol, which is broadly conservative Republican, but not really. It's a subset. It's its own thing within that movement. But those kinds of folks, and you see them online and you see, I, I've noticed this, you see it on Twitter when you bring this stuff up, is the notion of, well, America's not really a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. And I've had this conversation with, with people in my life. Chuck and I have kind of had this conversation on the show. And to that specific argument, yeah. I mean, our system of government is a constitutional republic. That is true. That's in the, you know, it's a constitution. It's a republic. In other words, we don't all vote on the bills at the Congress. We elect people to do that for us. But what's interesting to me is that it was almost like the America... I understood and still believe in was this notion of, yeah, we have a constitutional republic system, a constitutional republican system, but we are fundamentally a democracy, one person, one vote. The notion that all people have a say. At first, it wasn't all people, but we've become a more perfect union. We've extended the vote to African-Americans, finally to women, then finally to more people until we reach total adult suffrage, which was not a guarantee initially in this country. We've achieved, for the most part, we've achieved that. And so we're truly becoming more de democratic in the American spirit of democracy, which is, yes, we all have a say, equal say and access. So when you say we're a democracy now, it's being conflated with this argument of a constitutional republic being the truth. And what I'm getting at is I think that framing it that way is deliberate. And I think there is a move in some conservative thinking circles to emphasize this constitutional republic language in order to blunt any efforts by Democrats, the party, and liberals broadly, to tinker with that constitutional republic, which is the right we have to amend the constitution and to enact laws. In, in ways that they think would make things more democratic. For instance, the popular vote. I think the fear of losing the electoral college is out there in some conservative circles. I think the fear of making the Senate less of a slowdown, you know, it, it, that we're familiar with, you know, whether it's eliminating the filibuster, which is an actual real thing debated right now, as the new Democratic, very slim Democratic majority argues about Senate rules. And, and Republicans don't want to change the rules because the rules benefit those who are trying to stop bills from passing. And so I see this and I fear that given that we almost had it, we had an insurrection, a failed insurrection recently, and that those folks, if you, they 
basically have said, you know, we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. I worry that we're headed towards, I realize it sounds like I'm just blaming conservatives. And I, in this instance, because of the insurrection, I, I would say that I'm referring to that, which is a conservative kind of thing, sort of conservative. I fear that we're headed towards this debate over whether we're a democracy or a republic as though those were sides of the same coin, which I don't believe that they are, and as though it's okay if you support the notion that we're a constitutional republic, as I know Chuck understands that to be true, and I understand that to be true too, if you support that idea that it's okay to do a less democratic republic is okay, where fewer people can vote, where there's less one vote, one person attitude out there. And uh, I, I worry that we're being set up for that being the choices in our in our system. And I don't feel that that's good for, for any of us or good for our American system. I think we can all agree that democracy broadly is a good thing. What, I don't know what you think of that, Chuck, but that's what had me all charged up. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because we are on other side. We are on very opposite sides of, of this. And, and I think the way we interpret this is very different, too. I hear from you, and I, I hear this from a lot of, of Democrats and, and progressives, the idea that uh, the more democratic we can make our institutions, the better they're going to work. The more responsive to people, the more direct vote we can have. It just, it just, first of all, it just feels right, right? Like, we, if, of course, if more than 50% of people vote for this person for president, that person should be president. Come on. This is a democracy. This is a country. Why, why, why can it be thwarted another way? If, if 50 senators plus one vote for something in the Senate, why would that not be the law of the land? And, the push is to make things more democratic, i.e., if we can get that 50% plus one, we can keep things moving forward. I think that that makes a lot of sense in a progressive type of mindset. And you see the reforms out of the progressive movement in, in the early 1900s, the direct election of senators as opposed to having them elected through state representatives, other reforms to the vote. We're, we're all designed to make our system more responsive to directly to people. I'm going to put this other way of framing it out there as a way to think about this, because as a conservative, I don't want things to become less representative of people, but I want the system as a whole to be more responsive to my needs, to people's needs, to individual needs. I, I feel like as our system has become more, progressives would call it democratic, it has also become less representative. As we've had more democracy, We've actually had more centralization of power and fewer people making decisions. I think it's important who our representative is, but I'm under no illusions that Pete Stauber has any power at all in Washington, D.C. In fact, I think he probably has very little power. I think the people who have power in Washington, D.C. today are the president, the speaker, the, the Senate majority leader, and like a handful of other people. We see this at the state capitol. When, when you and I were younger, the state capitol was kind of a free-for-all, and people would cross party affiliations, and they would have different votes for different things. You had an Iron Range block, you had a Twin Cities block, you had a Southern Ag block, and they, they cross parties and what have you. I felt that that system was far more representative of people, far more representative of what was actually going on, even though it was somewhat less democratic. When you look at a system now today, we basically have created and continue to kind of go march along this path where if you can 
from whatever populist fear you can do for whatever set of tweets you can set out for whatever you can gin up at, at, at an election time. If you can get that 50% plus one, you have unprecedented power if you control a few key positions. Everything else is just chump change. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who your school board president is or who your city council member is or who your local legislator is or any of that. It only matters these few key positions. And so everything down ballot becomes how do I muster my pawns in this kind of army of things to generate at this top place, 50% plus one? I want a system that is thoroughly more democratic. And by thoroughly more democratic, I want one that distributes power more. So I like direct, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan, and I realize this makes me a Luddite, and I'll just say it because, you know, it will freak people out. But if you said today we could go back to senators being appointed by the state legislators and not have direct election senators, I would do that. And I would do that because what that did is it concentrated a certain amount of power within our system in state legislatures. We have given that up, and what it's done is it's made state legislatures very ineffective. It's, it's given them far less power. They have far less capacity to do things. It's concentrated power in Washington, D.C. I would like to see more checks and balances at the federal level. I don't like the, I, to me, it's not democracy that 50% plus one votes for the president to be a dictator for four years. I would like Congress to have a larger role in crafting legislation and putting things forward. I would like to see not all this omnibus bills put forth. I'd like actual like legislating. The system that we've created is on paper more democratic, but I think in its functioning is less representative of us in that it concentrates power, doesn't distribute it. And I would like to see a more distributed democracy, a, a democracy with more distributed power where yes, that would make it so that the electoral college is a roadblock to direct democracy. The filibuster is a roadblock to direct democracy. You know, the house is a place where the passions of the people boil over, but it's checked by this more austere, slower moving, you know, less responsive Senate. I like that system. Like that's the system that I want. That's not a progressive America because a progressive America is, hey, we want this changed, flip over the chessboard and let's just go do it. That's not a conservative America. That's not the America that I think a representative type of system was designed and set up to do. Oh, I follow. Yeah, no, and I'm not, I'm not even all that upset about it. I don't agree <laughs> with certain things. But here is where I'm stuck. And, and this is not really in direct response to what you just said, but it is inspired by what you said. If I recognize all of what you just said as regarding the role of the dis distribution of of power, really, the distribution of power to get as close to the people, if, if we establish that as maybe what the intent of democracy is. Actually, I have a whole section in studying culture where we talk about power distance. A dictatorship is a high power distance culture. You, you don't talk to the boss. No one talks to the wizard. You know, you just do your job and do what you're told. Whereas low power distance is prime minister is somebody I can go talk to on the street and they'll do They'll listen to what I have to say, and that's great. In many ways, we've watched the – I would agree with you that I think you would agree that the power distance in the United States has grown larger, not yes. smaller. Yes. Uh, over recent decades, let's say, but, but recent years for sure. Can, can I add a little bit to that? Yeah, I think, go ahead. I think where it has not grown – like I feel like I could call up Pete Stauber tomorrow and have mm -hmm. a conversation with him. 
I don't think it matters. <laughs> and not yeah. that I not that I think he is ineffective as a legislator. I just don't, he's got to be there for 20 years to get power in a certain place. That, so it, it doesn't matter. Like I can talk, to, I can ex- access him, but who yeah. cares? But to what end? Yeah. Right. Uh, and I would agree because I'm, I'm researching 100 years prior, the original progressive era, and well, you could live and die a whole life and never even see your Congress, your member of Congress, and you could write them a letter, but you know, so what? They weren't likely to. So in, in many ways, yeah, I can, I could talk to Pete Starr. I don't know if they'd want to hear from me, but I, I could talk to him and he'd at least know what I think. But yeah, what's he going to do with that information, even if he agrees with me or wants to do something about it? Um, so I, I'm going to accept that premise and I'm not going to you know, argue about the stuff I don't disagree, I agree with, but I'm just going to say, I'm going to, I get that premise. Because the, if that's the goal, I think that's a good one. Here's where I'm stuck. And I kind of feel like it, it reminds me of like the old, like old medical practices that are no longer accepted because their, their logic was all wrong. Uh, it was their intent was good, but their logic was all wrong. So, you know, you don't feel well, you have some bad blood, so let's put some leeches on you and see what the leeches can do. They'll get that bad blood out. You'll feel better. Great. But what if it's like kidney cancer and the leeches are not going to help you? And so I kind of feel like whether or not we think of direct, like moving in the, what the, the progressive vision of the democracy that, that you maybe would call it, or the representative blocks that you described in what you just said, what if neither of those is really what the problem is? And this is where I come to the notion of small P power, because I've been doing this book about a guy named Victor Power with a capital P. And I've been reading and really focusing on 100 years ago, uh, right around the time that the direct election of senators was, was passed. In fact, I, I covered that period and, you know, the Newt Nelson was a longtime appointed senator and he, he won his first election to the direct, direct election with the people. And I was like, see, everybody really does love him. That was the whole thing. But what if we have problems, a, a democratic, illiberal problems, not with the, you know, let's go ahead and have state legislatures appoint senators. Let's go ahead and do that. What if that's not the problem one way or the other, but it's the influence of money and of media in controlling media, meaning not just television or even news, but social media and advertisement and marketing, really, because we live in the era of marketing. I keep bringing that up once in a while. For instance, I think about, let's have the legislature appoint Minnesota's next senator. So the next Senate seat is in two years or four. Anyway, two years, it would be normally Amy Klobuchar's up. So Amy Klobuchar's got to seek re-election, but she's got to get appointed by a Democratic state legislature if she wants to be re-elected. Otherwise, if the Republicans get the legislature, they'll appoint whoever they want. So that's the new rule, just like the old days, old school. Well, normally a Senate race runs, what, 20, 30, 40, up to 80 to $100 million. I mean, last election broke all kinds of records for spending in, in individual Senate seats. Now, what if the same people who spent all that money said, okay, well, we can't spend $80 million on Klobuchar and whoever. Uh, so we're, I guess we got to get a, our side elected to this state legislature. 
Well, you break it down. You know, what if uh, 10, I think you're in 10B, Chuck, I don't know, 10A, one of those, or I'm in 5B. What, what, what if, if you just buy off some legislators, just give them what they want, just donate to their campaigns? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, right. But, the, you just, but even if you don't give it to them and you run it as third party right. expenditures and and what if you get down in the dirt in the yeah. communities yeah. And, and are like trying to, so what so is the, let, the let line me, between the, 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 yeah. the, what is our system, our democ democratic or Republican system, however you want to call it. And what is the line between what's happening in power and influence and money? That's my question. It's interesting because I feel like the progressive response to these issues is we have this oligarchy that we've created in the private sector of large corporations that are influential and insurance companies that are influential and pharmacy companies that are influential and international corporations who run things is to just get a bigger hammer. Like let's get, let's get a bigger government hammer to somehow like beat them down and, and make things fair and we'll control what you can advertise before elections and what you can say and who can say it and all that. And to me, I feel like a much better situation is just to make those things smaller. Like I, I don't, I don't really want, if you told me in order to have a more democratic system that conservatives had to sacrifice internet, you know, global corporate banks, and they had to sacrifice conglomerate energy companies and, and things just had to get smaller and more localized in the private sector, as I think they should in the public sector to make things truly democratic. That's a trade-off I'll go for. I like I'll I'll accept that. I would gladly do that. And if you said, well, there'll be the local mayor, Victor Power, who will get bought off by the iron ore companies and they'll, you know, control him. And I'm like, okay, I, I know that this is a messy system and I know that it's not going to be perfect. I will take my imperfections at the local level close to people who can actually vote and change it, then have it be distant and untouchable and, and unreachable. Because I, I don't think anyone left or right of the political spectrum today looks at the system that we have now and says that it's not an oligarchy. It's not run by insiders. It's not heavily influenced by big money people. We just have different boogeymen when it comes yeah. to that. Let's dig deep on KEXE, KBXE. You can check our website. We will continue the conversation a little more laid back. The podcast only edition will be available at KAXE.org. That's Chuck Marone and Aaron Brown. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Heidi.